This is the Save the Damn Score podcast with your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome back, everybody, to the Save the Damn Score podcast. We are on episode number seven. So that means I've been doing this for almost three and a half months now, and it's really been flying by. And today, uh, we're having on a special guest, Dan Lucero from Sterling, Colorado. He is the sports director at KSTC and KATR, and he's also the founder and co-host of Around the Haterade Cooler, the uh, podcast. So we'll give him a chance to self-plug everything as we go further. But Dan, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. I uh, really appreciate you uh, having me on the podcast. I, I join a, a list of uh, luminaries in the industry. I mean, like you had Tom Bowman on your last one, and here I am, just some dude. So hopefully not too big a letdown for your listeners to go from uh, that to this, but uh, I am flattered to be on and uh, look forward to chatting with you. Well, when I came up with the idea for this podcast, I wanted to, of course, find some big names, but I also just, it was really more about people with interesting stories. And before we get it, we'll give a little bit of background about how we know each other. We met at the one-day ticket in North Carolina last year where you were unemployed and a little uh, down in the dumps, it seemed like, while you were there trying to get back up on the horse. And you were able to do just that. So generally we start this with what's your big break, but we'll skip that and get to it later. You were in a spot, they say kind of the old cliche is that you've not you're not in radio, your career hasn't started until you've been fired or something bad's happened and you've ended up unemployed. Kind of go through the background of what happened there and why you were unemployed and how you were able to, you know, get out of the hole. Well, uh, as as far as, you know, you you mentioned a big break, and I'm hoping mine hasn't happened yet. I'm hoping mine is still out there somewhere (laughs) that I haven't uh, had my... Big break, come and go. But uh, yes, uh, I was I was unemployed for uh, about seven months last year. And uh, in case anybody is listening, uh, unemployment is not that cool. I don't recommend it to anyone. <laughs> um, it was a situation. Uh, I give you the Cliff Notes version. I was at a station in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, it was KGSO in Wichita, Kansas. And the Cliff Notes version of the story is is that I was a full-time on-air talent, and that position was eliminated. And it kind of caught me a little off guard, uh, to say the least. Uh, I had been, you know, considering I'd been in Wichita close to two years at the time. I was starting to think, okay, you know, have, you know, have my resume ready, have my ducks in a row, maybe, you know, start looking around and, and see what else is out there. And then, you know, I showed up on Monday morning to do my morning drive talk show, and as soon as I signed off, I was told, hey, don't come back tomorrow. So that was, uh, that's Cliff Notes' version of how, you know, you show up on Monday morning with a job, and then you go home Monday afternoon without one. And I took the opportunity uh being unemployed, I, I you know shot myself around a little bit in the, locally in the Wichita market. See, uh, there's only one other sports station in the area. They really weren't hiring anybody. I also took a swing at, at getting into baseball play-by-play, which has always been uh, the the kind the thing I wish I had pursued right off the bat. Maybe a little harder is is a baseball play-by-play gig. So I pursued a couple of those. Uh, got to the interview stages with a couple of them. Uh, was a runner-up for a job with a company I had used to work for in western Nebraska. I, I was offered my old job in western Nebraska back, which is another long story, but uh, at the time that was still pretty early into the unemployment phase, and I thought, you know, I'm going to aim a little higher. I'm going to see what else is out there. And it ended up being a process where I, I was looking for seven months. And it's not a totally idle process. You certainly have to be proactive. You have to be searching. You have to be uh, fine-tuning your, your resume, your, your audio clips, whatever you've got out there to try and get that. It's almost like after a while it was like being back in the job market for the first time and pursuing my first job and, and pursuing it with that kind of zeal and that kind of hunger for it. Uh, you mentioned the STAA one-day ticket. That's where we met last year, and I had actually – the week that I headed out to North Carolina was when I first made contact with the folks in Sterling. And when I got back, they asked if I wanted to interview. I went and interviewed the next week. They offered me the job as I was driving home, and uh, I accepted. And it was just, it was at the point where, 
you know, certainly I would have liked to. Wichita's market number 99 or 101, depending on what list you're looking at. Uh, I've never been able to get a straight answer, but it's it's close enough to be in a top 100 market. And of course, the idea is, you know, you want to stay in that market size. You want to you want to stay with those kinds of opportunities. But when, when you're out of the game for a while, you just want to get back in. You need to get back in. You need to get back on the air. You need to get back doing. You know, you need to get back making a paycheck. You need to get back to doing what you do. And I was fortunate to have that opportunity two hours from my hometown of Aurora, Colorado, and uh, jumped into it last July and had a, had a great time out here. It's, it's been a, re- a real godsend, this opportunity. You know, one of the things about people in the radio business is every single one of us has an ego, and we all think that we're good at what we do even when we're not at some point. So that was kind of the eye-opener for me going to the one-day ticket was, wow, I'm really not as good as I thought I was. I need to find a way to get better stat or I'm not going to make it where I want to make it. For you being in a top, you know, right borderline top 100 market, probably feeling like that might have been your big break getting into that uh, that size market and then having to go back to a town the size of Sterling. Was that hard to check your ego to take that job? You know, not really. Uh, that, that's a great question. And, and, and to be honest with you, yeah, of course. Of course we all have egos. We all think that uh, we do the best possible job, that we're the best thing behind a microphone and a headset. But for me, again, it was, it was about, at that point, it was less about I need to get back to X size market. I need to get back to doing this, that, or the third on the radio. And it was just about I, I need to get back working. I, I, need, I need to get a job. I need to get back behind a microphone in whatever capacity that may be. And, again, for the opportunity to be where it was, which was very close to home, uh, I was fortunate during my unemployment. Uh, my, my folks uh, let me move back in with them, so I lived in the uh, Aurora area for a summer, and, and and that was you know great to have their support instead of them saying nope, tough luck, bud, find another job, find something else to pay the bills and pit, put a roof over your head. They uh, they were supportive of me continuing to look for employment in the broadcast industry, uh, and uh, again when I when I did that, when I found this opportunity, uh, I was. I was so impressed with the company. I knew Sterling uh, fairly well, A, being a Colorado, and B, I'd, I'd called some games uh, in the town in, in a prior gig that I had in western Nebraska. So I knew about Sterling, knew it wasn't far from home, uh, knew I could you know, keep uh, close relationships with friends, family, and the like, and, uh, and just get back behind the mic and do play-by-play, which is what I really love to do. So I, I wouldn't say it was difficult to check my ego necessarily. The ego had already been thoroughly deflated when you spend seven months on the sideline if you've got any ego left after that i don't i don't really know what to tell you so for me no it was just a matter of i got to get back to doing this one because i need to make a paycheck i need to get, get back to making a living but two i really love doing this i'm i don't want to be over dramatic and say i'm lost without radio but I, I really love doing what i do and doing it makes me happy and getting a chance to do it again made me happy so there you go so let's get away from the Debbie Downer stuff that we started off with. We got that out of the way early, so it'll be all all downhill from here. But we talked about your break to get into the radio business with everyone we've talked to. Tom Bowman got his by delivering water bottles to a radio station and making friends with somebody. Most people's aren't quite that uh, off the wall. But what was your getting into the business story? How did you get that first job? My first job, I was fortunate to get two months out of college. I I took a job with the Bighorn Radio Network in Warland, Wyoming. Shout out to KWOR, KKLX up there, the good folks uh, with the Bighorn Radio Network, which is headquartered in Cody, Wyoming, which uh, if you uh, get to Cody, then you've got another hour and a half until you get to Yellowstone. Uh, if you get to Warland, you got another hour and a half until you get to Cody slash a Walmart. So that's kind of town size we're talking with Warland. Uh, it was in the mountain states, which was I was happy to be close-ish to home at the time. And that was my first gig. I just out of college, I started sending stuff out, and and uh, that was they were the first people to give me an interview and offer me a job, and and I wanted to get started and hit the ground running. So I took the opportunity. But what I was really fortunate to do was go to a school where I had the chance to build up. Uh, a, a demo, build up my my skills. I really didn't realize when I decided to attend the school that became my alma mater, DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana, I didn't realize the depth 
that they had in terms of their student radio station. I was more of kind of writer-minded. I knew I wanted to do something in sports media, but I was thinking I was going to be a sports writer. I want to be the next I want to be the next Gary Smith of Sports Illustrated. I want to be the next, I don't know if I want to be the next Woody Page, but that's who I grew up reading in Denver. That's what I wanted to do, I kind of thought, when I went to college. And then I got involved in the radio station, WGRE, which is student-run. It's a 24-hour radio station, and it pretty consistently ranks in the top five in the, the Princeton Review's ranking of, of university college radio stations. And what WGRE offered was the opportunity to do not just sports talk, not just, you know, spin records at 3 in the morning, but WGRE does all DePaul University athletic events, football, they do basketball, they do baseball, they do home and away for football and basketball. You're going on road trips. There was some softball. They've expanded now. They do soccer and volleyball now. They weren't even doing that when I was in school. But I had the opportunity to jump in with both feet and do play-by-play, and it was something that I'd always had a love for and an interest in, but never really an idea of, well, how do you get started doing something like that? I ended up at DePaul and, and by accident, kind of figured out how you get started doing something like that. Once I got in the broadcast booth, I, it was pretty clear, especially after my baseball career ended after one year, that I was never going to leave if I could help it. You know, that's an interesting thing to follow up on, because when we go to the ODT, there's a lot of people from Syracuse, and to be perfectly frank, that always kind of just kind of irks me, because I feel like some of them are just a little bit entitled, and they probably all deserve it, but I came from a small liberal arts school as well, and they let us go on the air, but I never had any direction on what I was doing or how I could get better. They just said you know what, you're working with the student station, you like sports, you're going to do the play-by-play. And did you have good training? And I guess, because I didn't get any of that until I got out of college and joined the STAA and started talking to John Chelesnick, I could see that being a huge advantage if you had that at the collegiate level. I wouldn't say that I got a lot of training, particularly when it came to play-by-play. There was a faculty advisor for the station, but we were pretty well self-contained at WGRE, and I believe still is, 24 hours on the air, and it's pretty much entirely student-run. The Board of Governors, or the Board of Directors, I should say, is entirely student-run. So, so it's a really unique situation. And again, when you go to a smaller school, I mean, you can go to Syracuse, you can go to Kansas, where I know there are a lot of broadcasters from, including uh, some very good friends of mine have gone to KU and come through KJHK, which I guess it's almost like the feels like the Midwestern Syracuse in a way. Mm-hmm. But if you go to one of those big schools and you want to get involved with student radio, you want to get involved with play-by-play, get ready to wait in line. Uh, I was a freshman and I was doing conference tournament basketball games. I was the sideline reporter for football. I did the high school game of the week. We did a county high school game of the week that I got to be on. I did color. I did play-by-play. I did sideline reporting. I did sports talk. I, I got my feet wet immediately and had four years of opportunity to do that. The training, I guess, that I got was I was fortunate uh, I was part of a, uh, an honors program, an honors media program at DePaul University, the Media Fellows Program. And one of the requisites for that program is you had to take a semester internship your junior year. Uh, I interned at KOA in Denver, which is the big stick. That's 8.50 a.m., the 50,000-watt blowtorch of the West. And my advisors for my internship were the sports director and the assistant sports director, Mark Johnson, who's the voice of the University of Colorado, and Mike Rice, who now does the afternoon news program but uh, used to do uh, Colorado women's basketball and occasionally fills in on Colorado Rockies broadcasts. Uh, they were very helpful in, in giving me some, some tricks of the trade, some tips uh, on how to sound better on the air, and even did something I don't know that they've done with too many of their interns, but they actually let me do halftime and post-game updates on CU basketball and on, uh, they were the Colorado Crush at the time, the indoor football team that was on one of the sister stations. So I got some on-the-job training on my internship, and and they put a 20-year-old kid on the air in the Denver market in a halftime and and post-game of CU men's basketball, Big 12 basketball games. And those were the opportunities. That was really where I kind of learned, kind of came into my voice, I guess, and came into my own understanding of, of how it's supposed to sound. Have you, do you still have a copy of your college air checks? I ask this because I just happened to stumble on mine when I was moving into a new apartment several months ago and I popped it in and listened to it and just cringed. Have you found any of your old, old tapes and, and what did you think if you heard it, if you found it? 
This is a 100% true story. Every year, DePaul plays a big football game, a big rivalry football game against Wabash College in Crawfordsville, Indiana. It's, it's the Monon Bell game. They've been playing it, I think, close, I think over 120 years uninterrupted now. They play it for an old railroad bell, the Monon Bell. It's the biggest game of the year. It's the biggest deal for all the alumni. They press and they put the game on a DVD every year for the alumni to purchase or what have you. I was the play-by-play voice for the Monon Bell my junior and senior years, and the senior year Monon Bell game, my senior year, the 2007 Bell game, is a particularly memorable one. It was won by my mighty DePaul Tigers on a last-second field goal by our backup kicker to beat a previously unbeaten Wabash team. So it was a pretty big deal. I have the broadcast in full, and I sync it with the DVD that I have of the game. And I try and watch it every year around Monon Bell time as a little bit of a, of a remembrance of college and, and a little bit of a tradition. And, and it's always fun, especially it's fun to watch us win a Monon Bell game because I don't think we've done it more than once since I graduated, unfortunately. But I do. So, so to answer your question, yes, I do. I, I, I listen to that tape every year. And every year I hear something new where I'm like, boy, I really didn't know what I was doing when I was 21 years old trying to do play-by-play. Boy, I... My listeners have no idea where the ball is. Boy, my, idea, my listeners have no idea really what's going on on that particular play. You know, boy, I don't like how I sounded here. So I'm always learning from that particular tape. And I know I've got other old stuff, too. I've got some old baseball and basketball from college. And I'm pretty obsessive about saving as much audio as I can just to, just to have it for archival and fun purposes. And, yeah, every now and again I do. I go back and I listen and I think, man, I, as far as the – enthusiasm and knowing who the players were i had that all down but as far as the mechanics of good play-by-play i was so far from knowing what i was doing so your next step after wyoming was in north platte nebraska that is my home state so i know a little bit about what you're dealing with there and it's actually a pretty similar town to where i'm at now in aberdeen south dakota where it's about 30,000 people it's the hub of the area but there is nothing close to it whatsoever Take us through your experience in that market. Obviously, it must have been at least a decent experience since they asked you back once you were unemployed at Wichita. I was there for three and a half years, and uh, it was wonderful. Uh, I had a great time there. I did so much play-by-play. There was a high school, North Platte High, the public school, and there was a junior college, North Platte uh, Community College, that played uh, pretty high-level men's basketball. They also had a women's basketball and a volleyball program. So that was really my start from, I went from, you know, being in Warland where it's Warland High School and I'm doing football during the fall and basketball during the winter to all of a sudden here I've got volleyball and I've got college volleyball and I've got softball and I've got college softball and I've got football and I've got basketball and college basketball and it all piled up and it was exhausting. It was a lot of driving because if you know, you know the state of Nebraska well, you know North Platte is a class A school. That's the big boys in, in, in Nebraska high school sports. And so our games are all in Lincoln and Omaha, which is a solid six-hour round trip. So I, 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 I had a lot of windshield time. And uh, I try to use it as best I could, listen back to my broadcast every now and again on the way back from Lincoln or Omaha after a Friday night football game or a Saturday night basketball doubleheader. But I did. I had a wonderful experience. I got, I got to call so many games. I got to see uh, some, some really neat things. I got to experience uh, North Platte Community College going to the national tournament for the first two times in program history uh, in Hutchinson, Kansas, which was a real joy. Uh, got to cover plenty of state tournaments. We did the county teams as well as North Platte if they ever made it to state. So lots of state basketball, lots of state volleyball. I also got my start in sports talk radio there. I got a chance to host a one-hour afternoon program. Uh, the Dan Lucero Show it was creatively titled, and I got a chance to host that for two and a half years. Basically, kind of hectored my boss into uh, finally giving me an hour in the midday because we had an ESPN radio station on the AM, and I figured local programming made some sense, so they gave me that opportunity. So for two and a half years, I got to host an hour of sports talk every day. And that was pretty much all I had to do was, I mean, make sure the trains ran on time with the ESPN station, make sure everything was programmed, you know, do your production duties, groom the logs to next gen, all that fun stuff, and then do play-by-play in my show. And that was pretty much it, and it was, it was wonderful. I had such a great time there. I can't speak highly enough about the company, Eagle Communications. They're all throughout Kansas and Nebraska, and, and I think in St. Joseph's, Missouri as well. And, and it's just a wonderful, it was a wonderful company to work for. I worked for great people. It was a great community. And I just did 
a ton of games, and that's really what I love to do. Play-by-play at the end of the day is what I love to do the most, and I got to do the most of it in that job. It was a blast. You know, for a guy with a podcast called Around the Haterade Cooler, you're off. You're being awfully nice to everybody so far. <laughs> well, you see, I I, I got to be nice to the people that have earned it, and there are a lot of people that that I've been fortunate enough to work with and work for, or the people I work now at uh, Media Logic Radio, certainly the great folks at. Uh, at Eagle Communications in uh, in Nebraska in North Platte, I I've been very very fortunate in my radio career to work for some really great people. Well, now it might be time to, as you like to say, stunt on them haters because your next step was to was it KSGO in Wichita, which I've heard from a couple other people was not necessarily the greatest place to be. You know what made you leave North Platte for that station, and I guess just describe your day to day duties and what was good and what was bad. KGSO in Wichita actually cold contacted me. I was I was on vacation. It was right after the uh, right after basketball season had ended uh, for North Platte High and North Platte Community College in 2013. I was taking a well earned vacation, uh, taking a week off, and uh, I got emailed out of the blue from the general manager at KGSO at the time. And I'd been in North Platte for three and a half years, and I'd started to think, you know, hey, maybe it's time to take the next step. Maybe I need to move forward. I actually had a conversation with a guy. Some people may know the name Barry Werner. He's been in radio in Houston. He's been in sports radio in Houston for a very long time. My brother went to school in Texas, and he happened to know somebody who knew Barry Werner, so he put the two of us in touch. And I had a phone conversation with Barry Werner right around this time as well, uh, right around the end of that basketball season where I told him what I was doing, and Barry Werner in his gravelly radio voice said, Dan, you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing. It's time to get the blank out of Nebraska and go, go chase something bigger. So I took that advice to heart uh, and uh, started to start to poke around a little bit. And Wichita reached out to me. Um, it was a very hard job to say no to. Everything sounded great. The, the pay was good. Uh, Wichita State was just coming off a Final Four appearance. It seemed like it was a great opportunity. And I come down there. It was the first time I'd been asked to do sales as part of my job. I hadn't had a sales responsibility in Wyoming or Nebraska. So that was part of the job. And, and as it turned out, uh, it was pretty much the whole job, uh, and especially at first. So uh, that was not what I had expected. I'm trying to be as charitable as possible. <laughs> uh, it was not what I expected that the job would be right away, but there it was. So I, I was thrown right into the fire sales-wise, and it took a while to get firm on-air footing, but uh, once I finally did, uh, the, uh, the former morning host uh, left for a job in Charlotte, and I was, I was only supposed to fill in. I was only given the show uh, and asked to fill in while they looked for somebody new, and two days into filling in, the owner said, hey, you sound great on the morning, I'm keeping you there, and that's where I was until, until I didn't work there any longer. So uh, for a long time, that was my responsibility. Uh, about a year after I joined the company, uh, the general manager, I think he was the second of four that I had there in 17 months, the <laughs> second GM that I had, uh, he decided he would make me his operations manager and program director. And I stayed in that position until GM number four decided to bring his own, uh, in his own guy to do that. But being the operations manager and program director of those two stations, plus the brand-new country station the company was getting started in Garden City, Kansas, plus the Mid-America Ag Network, which was a 20-station network that needed to have its programming, firing, everything clicking on all cylinders. Uh, it, was, it was a lot. And while it was a, it was a truly great professional opportunity, I got to do some awesome stuff uh, in radio. I got to do play-by-play of professional indoor soccer for a year. I got to cover the NBC World Series, which is one of the coolest events I've ever covered. Uh, I had a front-row seat for Wichita State going 34-0, which is still one of the most amazing things I've ever had the pleasure of watching. Uh, professionally, things were very good. Personally, things were very difficult. It was, it was a lot asked of every employee, and it was a lot of hours, and it was in certain times – a, a hostile place to work, and there were some other factors that but to just say that I could tell stories that would make your head spin, but uh, it, was, it, was a t- it was a difficult place to work. I, I was very, again, fortunate to have the professional opportunities that I did, but uh, it could be a very difficult, very hostile place to work, and it was really wearing on me uh, in the latter stages of my tenure there 
And uh, so really, when, when I go back to, you know, not having a job there anymore, it was certainly not the worst thing that's ever happened in my life, believe me. So what is the strangest broadcast location you've ever had to call from, doing small college, high school, and even some professional stuff in the soccer, you said? What is the weirdest place you've had to call a game from? Uh, are you talking like a venue, or are you talking like a broadcast position? Like a broadcast position or a venue. Do both. Okay. Uh, broadcast position, probably uh, there was – this was my first, bro- uh, my first uh, basketball broadcast in Wyoming. We went to – oh, my gosh, I can't remember. Kemmer. Kemmer, Wyoming. And uh, the only place they had for radio, because there was no working phone line and terrible cell phone service in that town, the only working phone line was in the wrestling room which was up above and behind one of the baskets. And it was way up there. And I had to stand on a table, like a folding table, and look out the window in the wrestling room, overlooking one of the baskets, and broadcast the game. That was my first basketball broadcast, uh, <laughs> professionally, really, my first basketball broadcast in Wyoming. So uh, that was not ideal, and I'm sure there are plenty more. The roof, I broadcast from the uh, softball game in Kearney, Nebraska, from the roof of the restrooms in the middle of the complex. I just set up on the concrete roof, set up a table and my banner and a chair, and, and uh, ran, a, ran a power strip and broadcast from up there. Strangest venue, uh, I was the voice of the short-lived, uh, rest in peace to the Wichita B-52s, of the, it was a professional indoor soccer league at the time, it's major arena soccer league now. Um, it was a league where the standards for where you played your home games were not particularly high. There were some places we played that were essentially practice venues. Uh, we went out to Las Vegas to play a game, and Las Vegas's home arena on paper was the Orleans Arena, which is, you know, that's, a, that's an arena. That's, they hold uh, some college basketball tournaments there. The Orleans Arena is down on the Strip. The Orleans Arena was booked for an RV show that weekend, so we could not play there. We ended up playing at some practice facility about 20 miles outside of Las Vegas. And I did that game standing behind the benches, standing on a, a box that you use for, like, plyometrics. I was standing on a box, and I was broadcasting the game. I had all my stuff set up on a table that was level with the box. And I'm just standing there with my headset cord running all the way down to my box. Thankfully, I'm only 5'10". If I'd been, you know, a foot taller, we could have been, uh, had a real problem. And, and I just broadcast the game from uh, right behind the bench. That is also the only event that I've ever been to where the home team tried to curry favor with the visiting team by offering them comped passes to a local strip club, which we were <laughs> assured was a high-quality strip club. Uh, our coach uh, threw those away. Uh, we weren't going to get out of the gym until 11 o'clock, and... Um, he, 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 he chucked him. He's a married man, good man. He chucked him. Uh, so never, never did find out if that strip club was as good as advertised. But that's, uh, that's certainly the strangest venue. There were some other ones in the PASL, but that one, that one stands out, having to do it uh, standing on a box uh, with a crowd of about 75 people watching what was ostensibly a professional sporting event. Did you get to enjoy your time in Vegas at all? Did you get to go out to the strip and have a little bit of fun? Let me put it to you this way. Um, you know, you, you can name some of the more famous places and, and places to stay. You know about the Venetian. You know about Caesar's Palace. You know about the MGM, the Flamingo, the Palm, all those places on the Strip. Uh, we stayed at Arizona Charlie's, <laughs> which uh, you could see the Strip from Arizona Charlie's if you had the right view from your hotel room. But, uh, no, we were pretty far from the Strip. Though after our game, uh, we did drive through it. And I'll tell you, that was kind of cool because we drove right down through the Strip. We had a couple of players on our team at the time who were Cuban, and they had only recently defected from Cuba to the United States. So they had their heads out the window and they were taking pictures with their cell phones because they'd never seen anything remotely like that before in person in their lives. So that was a pretty cool moment. But, no, Arizona Charlie's was not quite uh, – that was – that was the kind of league the PASL was. We were staying at the Arizona Charlies. <laughs> yeah, they weren't a Venetian. They were Arizona Charlies. <laughs> All right. So I got a couple people and their numbers of Twitter followers here. Greg Sharp, the voice of the Nebraska Cornhuskers football and baseball, 12.8 thousand. Mark Boyle, voice of the Indiana Pacers, and the very first guest on this podcast, 14.2 thousand. Gene Deckeroff. 14.9 thousand. He's the voice of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Florida State Seminoles. 
And Kevin Kugler, who's on Westwood One, has 22.3 thousand followers. You have 31.2 thousand followers on Twitter as a high school broadcaster in Sterling, Colorado. Is it safe to say that you have figured out Twitter? <laughs> I don't know about that. Let me let me tell you what really happened there. Uh, the uh, you know if you're if you're the guy behind the haterade cooler, sometimes you're going to hate on the wrong person. <laughs> and I don't know if I hated on the wrong person or what, but I remember one day uh, I was I was at a Rockies game actually. I was at a Colorado Rockies game with some friends of mine and uh, happened to uh, look at my phone and notice that uh, all of a sudden I had a I think I had close to 1,000 Twitter followers at the time. I was about 950 to 1,000 Twitter followers. And I looked down, all of a sudden, hey, I got 1,500 Twitter followers. Hey, what did I do? What did I say? And uh, then I refreshed, and I saw that I had 1,800 Twitter followers. I'd gained 300 in about two milliseconds. So what happened was, and this has happened to uh, people much more uh, prominent on Twitter than me, uh, I, got, uh, I got follower bombed, bot bombed by somebody. You can purchase fake followers for yourself to make yourself look good. Or you can purchase them for someone else. And somebody purchased them for me, and it did not stop until I reached about 60,000 followers. <laughs> so I have a great deal of fake ones, and I'm sure I still have some stragglers that are still there. But uh, I prefer to think of it as uh, the Twitter followers that I do have, whether I've got one real one or whether I've got 31,000 real ones or, or whether it's somewhere in between. Hopefully they're entertained because I just try and have as much fun on there as I possibly can, and uh, while still trying to maintain, you know, sense of decorum, and I try and keep it PG, PG-13 at, at, at the most, because uh, I am trying to, you know, be professional, but at the same time, I'm just trying to have fun. I'm trying to tweet out pictures of dogs that I found funny, or, or funny vines, and, you know, stuff that I enjoy about sports, and stuff that I enjoy about my job as well. Um, I don't know that I figured Twitter out, but I, I, I've made it work for me, and uh, I have a lot of fun with it. Who was the, the beef with? Do you know who did it to you? Uh, I have some. Uh, I have some suspects. They're all in the Denver media that I've maybe been uh, not as complimentary to on Twitter as uh, as maybe they would prefer. I, I know somebody else that it happened to. Uh, highly suspected it was somebody who worked for a certain Denver sports talk radio station that uh, we don't need to name here. But uh, we don't need to. I, I don't want to put him on blast because I'm not 100 percent sure it was him. But uh, that was their experience. And uh, since I had had a similar. Uh, I don't want to say war of words because, come on, it's, it's Twitter. You can't be that petty. But uh, I, I, I don't know who it was at the end of the day. I just know that uh, they got me pretty good. Uh, I, I, just, I could do nothing but watch the number of followers climb. And, uh, you know, once it was done, I thought, well, hey, I could really leverage this. I, couldn't, uh, I, can, I can seem way more popular than I really am. All right. So how many – what did you do after that? Can you just block everybody? Can you delete people or not allow people to follow you? How does that even work? I have like 300 there, followers. There, I don't even know. There was a program. There was a website where you could go and it would comb through your followers and it would list all the ones that were probably fake, and then you could go through and you could block them in the program. But that program no longer works. So for now, it's just kind of – I don't know. A lot of them just disappear. A lot of those, you know, if they're spam Twitter accounts, they just, you know, Twitter ultimately finds them and, and knocks them out. And I think eventually, at the rate I'm going, I should be down to my, my real number of followers probably sometime in 2036 uh, at, at the rate that's all going. So um, that was how I used to do it. But uh, in the process, though, because it says, you know, everybody with an egg, Abby, you know, everybody who doesn't have a real avatar is, is suspect. And I think I actually bl- accidentally blocked the mother of Colorado Rockies pitcher Eddie Butler, who was following me, uh, and uh, felt a little bad about that. So transitioning from that, you also run a podcast around the Haterade Cooler. You know, where did you come up with that concept? And I guess, well, how did you get set up with Andrew Hammond, your guest host? And he's from Kansas. You're from Colorado. I'm assuming it's probably from your time in Wichita. But just how did you come up with the concept and what made you decide to go forward with it? I miss doing sports talk. You know, I took this job knowing that there wasn't really going to be uh, this job in Sterling, Colorado that I currently have, that there wasn't going to be a sports talk element, that I wasn't going to be hosting three hours of morning sports talk like I got to do in Wichita. It was going to be more play-by-play intensive. And that's fine. If you made me choose one of the two and said, you can't do the other one ever again, but you can do this one at, at whatever level you want to do it at for the rest of your broadcast career, I would choose play-by-play over sports talk and, and not give it a whole lot of thought. 
But I do miss, I miss talking about sports. I miss having a venue, a forum, other than Twitter and, you know, Facebook or whatever, to, to really talk about sports. And I had kicked around the idea in my head, maybe I start a podcast. Do people want to hear me talking to myself? Because I could. I could talk to myself for hours on end. I don't think, don't think it would be a very good podcast. Uh, it was actually Andrew who had approached me, not knowing that I was thinking about doing something like that. He had mentioned it offhand on Twitter. He says, man, if, if Dan Lucero and I had a podcast, man, the things we could say about, I don't even remember what, what, the, uh, what the thing was. And I DM'd him right away. I said, hey, man, if you're serious about this, let's, uh, let, let's do this. Andrew is somebody that I met uh, in Wichita. Uh, he was... He actually worked for me, in a sense, because that was when I was the program director and the operations manager. He was, uh, he was working part-time as a, as a board op, and I put him on the air as a fill-in, uh, gave him a, a chance to do a one-hour program on Saturday mornings with another uh, young guy, somebody that, you know, I, I think all of us in broadcasting believe in paying it forward and trying to, you know, mentor other people that, that want to do what we do for a living. And uh, I saw an opportunity, you know, with Andrew uh, when I was in Wichita to, to help him along, to t- try and help him, you know, realize some of his dreams in sports media. And now he's writing for GoPowerCat.com, which is the rival's uh, Kansas State site. He's writing for their print. He's writing for their web. Uh, and uh, now we do the podcast together. And it's just we, we were able to just kind of settle into a good vibe of just being two dudes talking about sports. And as far as the name goes, you can credit my younger brother for that one. He was actually the one who su- who suggested it because primarily we were just going to go with the with the Delu and Aham podcast. But uh, my brother, who uh, will never pull a punch in his life, says, "Dude, that's a terrible name. You got to think of something better than that." So <laughs> he uh, he threw the haterade cooler out there, and I said, "I, I like that. I'm going to steal it." And so I did, and that's where that's that's how we landed on around the haterade cooler because. While it's fun to talk nice about things that we enjoy in sports, sports provide a way, I'm trying to think of the way to say this, and I think there are other people who have said it much better than me, but being a sports fan and hating another team or another player, that's, that's healthy hate. That, that engages that part of you that wants to hate something or someone but it's healthy because it's not real, because this stuff doesn't really matter at the end of the day. It doesn't really matter that the San Francisco Giants have won three of the last six World Series, despite being a constant thorn in the side of my beloved Colorado Rockies. None of that matters, but I can still be as mad as I want to be about it and, and hate it as much as I want to hate it and, uh, and not have it be something that with any real ramifications except for it being kind of fun to make fun of Madison Bumgarner sounding like a mid-70s country singer every time he opens his mouth, or whatever, whatever joke we choose to make. So it, it's, just, it's fun, and it's, it's all meant uh, in lighthearted good spirit. But, uh, yeah, there, there, uh, there are some unsavory characters that we like to hate on every now and again. So building a podcast, obviously I have some interest in this as I'm trying to do not the same thing, but something similar. How did you find kind of your niche, and how, do you, how have you been able to grow and promote your promote your podcast to get the listenership that you want? That's a great question, because I still don't know if I'm doing it the right way or the best possible way. You know, Andrew's got a pretty sizable Twitter following. I mean, not my 31,000 followers, but, uh, you know, Andrew's got a pretty sizable Twitter following, so we always make sure we get it out on Twitter. We get it out on Facebook. Uh, We try and talk about it on Twitter even when we don't have a new episode. We'll make mention of it, and we'll link it. The day it comes out, we'll link it the weekend. We'll link it the next week a little bit, and and kind of promote it that way. But uh, there's certainly more we could be doing to get it out there and more we could be doing to attract more listeners. Uh, you know, it's very free form. It's very loose. We have a rough idea of what we want to talk about, and then we just go. And I think it's better that way because it does give it a vibe of just two guys having a conversation. And that, to me, is that's the kind of podcast I want to listen to. I want to listen to people who are just, just cutting up, just making jokes, just talking sports, just having a good time. That's the kind of podcast I enjoy. Those are the kind of podcasts I like when it's just, you know, two friends, you know, cracking jokes, making fun of each other, making fun of th- other things. And that's the vibe I, I think we've hopefully captured in our first, I think we're, we're on 18 episodes now uh, of this thing. And as far as promoting it, though, I, I don't think we're near to the point of doing as much as we possibly can uh, to promote it. Uh, you know, we could give it its own Twitter account. We could be linking it, promoting it much more aggressively than we do on social media. But the following we have is fairly loyal, and uh, I do hear good feedback from it, and I know Andrew does as well. And, and the, the important thing for it now, I'm not 
as concerned 18 episodes in with you know, growing it to a point where it's this global phenomenon. Right now, I'm. You're not going to be the Bill Simmons podcast 2.0. No, I don't. I, we're not coming for Bill Simmons. We're not coming for Katie Nolan. You know, we're not coming for for anybody. We're not coming for PFT commenter. We're not coming for those kinds of numbers yet. Right now, we're just trying to have some fun with it. See how it grows. See how our careers evolve to the point where you know what's Andrew going to be doing professionally in three years. What am I going to be doing professionally in three years? And what avenues will that give us? As we continue to podcast together, that's uh, we're, we're playing a long game here. I think at least at least that, that's uh, that's my thought on it. We're playing a long game with it right now. We're just trying to have as much fun with it and get it out to as many interested people as we possibly can, and and let them let them have an hour where they can sit and listen to some sports talk that's completely irreverent and and uh, listen to me make more hip hop references than a 29 year old white guy probably should, <laughs> and uh, and just laugh and have a good time. So I've listened to not all of them, but probably over half of them, and you guys. You like to talk about the Rockies, the Seahawks, and Wichita State. That's kind of an unusual fan, you know, collection of teams to root for as a fan. Where did you come up with that? And I want you to know that I am a firm Wichita State Shockers hater. I grew up right next to Omaha. I loved Creighton Blue Jays. And I went to a couple different Arch Madness tournaments, watched Dougie McBuckets put 40 on the Shockers and beat them in their last year there, which made me really happy. But... Where do you come up with that fan that fan collection? Well, I'll, I'll tell the easiest story first. I, mean, I grew up in the Denver area, so the Rockies were kind of my first love. You know, they were. I was six years old when they started playing games, and I re- still remember, you know, going to the old Mile High Stadium that first year with my parents and watching the Rockies play. And that's that that's been a lifelong love affair. We've kind of grown up together, the Rockies and I, and so uh, so that's where the Rockies fandom comes from. And I, and I root for. All the other Denver teams, you know, if I'm watching a basketball game, it's probably the Nuggets. If I'm watching hockey, it's certainly the Colorado Avalanche. The Seahawks is where it gets a little tricky. I had a great uncle. My great uncle's name is Tom Lavat. He was an NFL assistant coach for a very long time. When I was a little kid, he was with uh, he was with Green Bay. He coached under Mike Holmgren in Green Bay uh, when I was, you know, in my grade school years. When they won the Super Bowl, they lost another to the Broncos. They had Brett Favre and, and all those guys. Then when Holmgren took the job in Seattle, uh, my uncle, uh, my great uncle, went with him, and so everybody in the family was, you know, real big Packer backers, and uh, they, everybody was pretty slow to say, well, wait, now we have to root for the Seahawks. Everybody except me. Uh, I don't know if it was a contrarian streak in me, but I decided right then and there, oh, okay, all right, now I've got two favorite teams: going to be the Packers, going to be the Seahawks. Eventually, I had to pick because they were both in the same uh, conference, and then they played a playoff game which happened to be uh, the last game of my great-uncle's coaching career. Uh, he was retiring after the 2003 season. Perhaps uh, you're familiar, if you're an NFL fan, with uh, the Packers-Seahawks overtime game in the wild-card playoffs <laughs> that year where Matt Hasselbeck says, we want the ball and we're going to score. And, uh, in fact, that did not happen. Uh, in fact, uh, he threw a touchdown pass, but he threw it to the wrong team. And uh, I was devastated by that particular turn of events. And I think that was the point in which – I, uh, I decided, well, guess I, I guess I'm a Seahawks fan now. They've broken my heart. They've kicked me in the junk. Now I can be a Seahawks fan. And I have been ever since. Um, I, I'm still kind of the contrarian in the family. I'm the only one, but uh, I'm a big Seahawks fan. And Wichita State is just, it was hard not to get sucked in uh, working in Wichita, watching them go undefeated, watching Ron, Ron Baker, Fred Van Vliet, very likable uh, group of guys. Who, who did something completely remarkable and completely enraptured the city of Wichita in my first year there, my first year doing sports talk in that city, was talking about this incredible team, this incredible feat. I never really had a favorite college basketball team. Denver is not a college basketball or a college sports city, really. Uh, nobody, unless you went to Colorado, you don't give a damn about CU sports. Unless you went to Colorado State, you don't give a damn about the Rams. You know, Air Force is too far away uh, in Colorado Springs to really make much of a dent. So I didn't really grow up. I grew up a pro sports guy, not a college sports guy. But uh, I've always loved college basketball. just love to watch it. Never really had, like, a team that I lived and died with. Never had a team. I mean, I liked Duke because they always won. They were always on TV, and that's how your five-year-old brain works sometimes. But Wichita State was just kind of the team that I, uh, I started to follow. And, and I have a lot of uh, Twitter followers still from, uh, from Wichita, from my time in Wichita. And it kind of keeps me in touch with them. They, they were good people. They were frequent listeners to my radio program. I enjoyed interacting with them. And I still get the chance to do that by watching uh, Shocker games and, and talking about them and following that program. So as a person who relishes in sports hate, I've come up with a list of four 
five different things that I want you to say something nice about that you brought that's going to go against your better judgment. Okay. All right, we're going to go with this. Say something nice about Madison Bumgarner. He is a throwback to the days when pitchers had to be offensive threats because he hits home runs. He's got a great fastball. He's going to be he's durable. He's going to be really good for a really long time. Say something nice about Peyton Manning's arm. Back in the day, it got the ball where it needed to go. Say something nice about Colin Kaepernick. I have never been more terrified of an NFL player than I was uh, than of Colin Kaepernick the first three quarters of the 2013 NFC Championship game. I thought for sure at that point he was going to be a superstar. Uh, I don't know what happened. I think Cam Chancellor and the Legion of Boom snatched his soul that night, and he's never been the same. Say something nice about the Los Angeles Dodgers as a team. Great uniforms and Vince Scully calling their games for one more year. And, and Dodger Stadium's a cool venue. I've been to Dodger Stadium. It's a pretty cool place to watch games. And personally, as someone who hates Wichita State, say something nice about the Creighton Blue Jays. Even though they're not conference rivals anymore, I kind of still wish they were. Uh, Doug McDermott was one of the most entertaining college players I, I had a chance to see. I see, you kind of got me a little backwards on this one because I was never, you know, the first year I covered Wichita State was the first year Creighton wasn't in the league. So I, uh, I never had that kind of animosity. Plus, one of my best friend's wives went to Creighton, went to the nursing program there. So I, uh, I always have to check myself if I'm going to say anything bad about Creighton. <laughs> uh, but uh, great crowds, great, great basketball town, Omaha. Great crowds at the, uh, I think it's the CenturyLink Center now. Uh, went to a Creighton game when I worked in Nebraska, and it was a it was a great atmosphere. All right, who are your favorite broadcasters to listen to, both in the mainstream and maybe some people who are a little off the radar that you really like to listen to? Um, Jerry Schemmel is my broadcasting idol. Uh, he is currently one of the two play-by-play radio voices of the Colorado Rockies. When I was a kid, he was the voice of the Denver Nuggets. And if you've listened to me do basketball, uh, what you're hearing is very heavily influenced by Jerry Schemmel because Jerry Schemmel never had a color guy. He always did the games on his own. And so that's always come really natural to me. It's always been harder for me to have a color analyst doing basketball because what I grew up listening to was Jerry Schemmel describing the action, painting the picture, bringing up the stats or the story, you know, during the whistle, during a dead ball, during free throws. Uh, Jerry Schemmel had a huge, huge influence on my career. And now that he's not doing basketball anymore I don't feel as bad having stolen his uh, three-point call every now and again I give a little bullseye when somebody hits a big three and that's all Jerry that's a that's a tribute that's an homage to Jerry Schemmel he's my he's my uh, my idol uh, in the broadcasting business and I greatly enjoy listening to him and Jack Corrigan uh, on Colorado Rockies uh, broadcasts those are probably I mean I listen to them the most anyway but uh, I really think those two are outstanding as far as uh, the mainstream guys I think Dan Schulman does a terrific call uh, I, I always enjoy him on college basketball and Major League Baseball. And somebody I heard, I had a chance to start to hear a little bit this fall on radio and TV, and I think as a radio guy, he blew my mind how good he was the first time I heard him on the radio. Adam Amin of ESPN, I think, does a fantastic radio football call. Like, I, I almost had to pull my car over to the side of the road. I was like, man, this is really good. The first time I heard him do, I don't remember what game it was. I just remember it being a really great call. So Adam Amin is very high on my list. Um, I mentioned Dan Schulman, who I really like. Sean McDonough I've always been a big fan of. I think he nails the big moments in a way that not a lot of other broadcasters do. And I I like, uh, I I will say that I'm also a, a more of a Joe Buck fan than I used to be. I think Joe Buck has gotten better to the point where if it's really a big game in baseball or football, I'm glad when it's Joe Buck behind the mic. I think he gets a bad rap. I think people, I think people had fair reasons to criticize him over the years, but I think he's gotten better, and I think he's gotten better to listen to, and, and I'm a really big Joe Buck fan. You know, that's interesting that you brought up Adam Amin. I'm going to just tell a story because this is my podcast and I can do what I want, but one of... <laughs> When I was trying to leave my first job in Denison, Iowa, I applied for one in Spirit Lake, Iowa, which was, I don't know, it was really a lateral move in hindsight, but it was a, just a really fun town. It's kind of a party town, and I was still kind of in that phase where I like to get after it a little bit. And I found out later that Adam Amin actually won that job that I was going up against. So I was mad at the time that I didn't get it, but in hindsight, it makes sense now. So 
I lost right. out on a job to Adam Amin. He doesn't hey, know that. That's, uh, <laughs> that's not too bad. That's uh, yeah, that's pretty good company to be in if you were being considered on the same level as, as him at any point. It was, I think it was his very first job. It was a really small market one that he stayed in for, like I think, like just a few months and then moved on to do his thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you do on a regular basis to improve as a play-by-play broadcaster? I think the number one thing I do is listen to my stuff. Uh, I save and record everything. I'm obsessive about it. If I forget to hit the record button before a broadcast, I am, I'm devastated. I'm furious. So I save everything. And I try and go back and listen to, if not the full broadcast, because uh, you know, there might be a point. I'll give you an example. I called a uh, state tournament first-round game Friday night, and we had a big, uh, the team I was broadcasting for, Sterling High School, we had a big run to start the third quarter, break open a tie game, crowds rocking at home, some big shots. And I remember thinking as I'm going home, boy, I really think I called that well. Let me go back and see if I really called that as well as I thought I did. And, of course, the, the rubric I'm using, first and foremost, is, uh, and you'll be proud because it's the name of your website, is did I say the damn score and time as often as I needed to? And it is amazing how often I don't do that. Like, that is still a weakness, and it will probably always be something of a weakness in my broadcasting career where I just don't say it enough. I say it, I say it more than I used to, a lot more. But I'm still not to the point where I feel like, man, I'm, I'm, I've said it enough. I've kept on top of it for this entire game or this entire quarter. Um, other things I try and, you know, listen for, you know, just descriptive words. Uh, am, am I pinpointing the ball? I, I just I listen for those real simple mechanical things. And I try and listen, again, if I, if I leave a game and I think, boy, I really felt like I had a good call tonight that I want to listen to maybe a drive I thought I called well in football or a half inning or a quarter. Or maybe there are nights where I leave and I think, boy, I, I, I didn't feel like myself tonight. Why, why didn't I feel like myself tonight? Why didn't I feel like I had as good a call tonight? And I'll go back and sometimes listen to those full games and try and figure out, boy, maybe it was this stretch of the game where I just kind of – I was just a little out of it. I just was a little behind the play. I was trying to fit too much stuff in and, and miss some description. So really a, a lot of it is listening to myself. And the other thing that I do uh, that I've been able to do this year a lot more is listen to other broadcasters, listen to you know, other calls, college games, professional games. I bought a new car in September, and it came with a Sirius XM uh, subscription. So I had access to all the NFL games. I've, I've had access to you know, the baseball playoffs, a lot of NBA games, a lot of college basketball, some hockey. And I like to just flip and listen to different broadcasts. And, and sometimes things will jump right out, and I'll think, boy, I really like this. I like, I like that vocabulary. I like that, I like that term that he used. I, I liked uh, the way that he worked the score in organically during that flow of the game. Or, boy, I really don't like this call. I don't know where the ball is. How is this guy the play-by-play voice at this major university? He doesn't tell me where the ball is half the time. So that's what I do. I think the way you grow is you just listen. And I think listening to myself, the more I listen to myself, I think the better I get. And the more I listen to other people, I think the more that I can try and work some things in to make myself better as well. You know, one of the things you touched on there that I'm – interested in that I think probably could be helpful to a lot of other people. You said you have a rubric that you use when you self-critique, and I've tried to develop that and never really found anything that I like. What do you have on that, and what are you listening for to mark down kind of on your rubric? I don't know that I have a a firm rubric, but there are just certain things that I listen for. I, I try and make sure that I've got the time and score at least every 90 seconds. Uh, and it was amazing because I, 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 one of my first broadcasts this year was a softball game. And I remember leaving the softball game thinking, boy, I did really well. And then going back and listening, and I'm going three to four minutes without mentioning the, the score. I mean, I had the inning, but I'm not mentioning the score as, as often as I thought. So that's something that that will always be a focus of mine. That's, and that's obviously it's job number one. You never know when somebody is tuning in, and as soon as somebody turns on the radio, that's what they want to hear. What's the score? How much time is left? What inning or what quarter are you in? And so I'm trying to give that as often as possible. The other thing is ball location. Uh, I, whether it's basketball or, or football, where's the ball? Where's the play going? Where is the player? Are, you know, player bringing it into the front court? Okay, great. Are they coming up the right side? Are they coming up the left side? Are they coming up with a brisk jog? Are they on a dead run? Are they walking it ahead? You know, what words am I using to describe some of the more mundane 
regular common action. How am I describing, you know, anybody can do a 50-yard touchdown play and have it sound great, and Lord knows I've called my share of long touchdowns that I've thought, man, that was a great call. But, you know, the really good, really good play-by-play guys are the ones who can make a three-yard off tackle sound like art, and I'm a long way from that. So I, I really try and pay attention to the more mundane action, the more mundane plays, the two-hop ground ball to second base, the, the long half-court possession, and see how I'm describing that. And I also listen for, and I think we all get caught in this every now and again, am I saying the same thing using the same word too often? I remember listening to a broadcast earlier this year. I thought I'd had a good night, and five minutes in the broadcast I had – me listening back to the broadcast, I had to turn it off in disgust because I had said not some variation of knocks down the shot. It was basketball. I had said some variation of knocks down or knocks it down or she knocks it down or that one knocked down by, and I had said it like five times in the first three minutes of the game. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and that drove me crazy. So I, I, I'm always listening for that as well. How varied is my vocabulary? How am I staying on top of the geography of the play, the, the mundane action? How am I describing some of that more average mundane stuff? There's only so many times you could say working the ball around the perimeter or around the horn in a basketball game. What am I doing to break up that monotony? And how often am I saying the time and score? Those are the things that I, I grade myself on every time I listen. We're getting close to an hour, so I don't want to keep you here a whole lot longer. But take us quickly through your preparation process. Uh, I know you've done a lot of different sports, but we'll just focus on football and basketball for now. I do a lot of prep. I probably over-prep. Um, it's one of those things where in my last, two, my last two jobs, I've had a sales responsibility on top of being a play-by-play guy, where that was not the case in North Platte. North Platte, I could have as long as I wanted to to prep, and I would – I mean, I would, when I did junior college basketball, I was spending 20 minutes per player, uh, opposing player, trying to Google and learn something about that player that I could use in a broadcast. And I would use more than 10%, 15% of it, but that was how, you know, I could use my time. I don't have that kind of time at my current job, so I have to trim that down a little bit. But my prep time, I, I need numbers, and I am obsessive about numbers because that's, I've always been fascinated by stats. I'm one of those sabermetric guys as a baseball fan who I, I just love the numbers. I love the new metrics. I love finding patterns in numbers. I love knowing stuff that if this team allows more than 50 points, they are 2-5, and five, but when they allow less than 50 points, they're 7-1. and one. I like finding those trends, those patterns, and I'm always kind of seeking those out as I look through team stats, as I look through the schedules, as I look through, uh, you know, go to each team's page on max preps. So I probably spend the majority of the day before each game or the morning of each game, just kind of depends on when the game is, putting together my, my, uh, my spotting boards. I have a spotting board that I use. It's just a, it's just a grid, basically, for basketball and other sports like that. And for football, it's more of a football-specific one. But I fill out my board with the, with the requisite numbers and, and background that I can find. And I'm pretty good with memorizing names. I have a good memory for that kind of thing. So I don't need to spend too long looking at a roster or making flashcards or anything like that. I've never needed to do that. I've always been pretty good with the names. As soon as I get to the gym, I'm ready to go on that. But uh, I, I probably spend all told, I spend at least – two, two and a half hours on every game at least that I'm doing. The bigger the game, the more information I want, the more I want to be able to make the occasion sound as big as it is. For state basketball, I've got state tournament basketball coming up this week in Denver uh, where our uh, girls' high school basketball team is going for a second state championship. I'm trying to find some numbers from that 05 team that won it all and maybe do some straight-line comparisons to this, uh, to this 2016 team that has a chance to win the whole thing. So I'm always looking for patterns. I'm always looking for a new way to tell the story. Because at the end of the day, that's always been the way I've looked at it, is I'm just telling a story, and I just happen to be describing what's in front of me. All right, so if anybody out there wanted to contact you, follow you on Twitter, or listen to your podcast, how would they do that? By all means, do so. Do not bot-bomb me on Twitter, however. (laughs) Uh, That's already happened to me once. Uh, I am at Dan Lucero Show on Twitter. 
Uh, I started it when I was hosting a show by that name in uh, North Platte, and I just never bothered to change it. So that's what it is. Plus, somebody already has Dan Lucero, and it's very aggravating. I think they speak Spanish, and they haven't been on Twitter in like three years, and I can't give them, get them to surrender the, the screen name. So I'm Dan Lucero Show. Lucero is L-U-C-E-R-O. Dan and Show, you should be able to figure out on your own. Uh, you can also find my website. Uh, I'm online at danluceroradio.com. Uh, it's a fairly new website. I've redesigned it completely, put, uh, put the resume and, and, and audio clips up there if you want to hear some examples of my work. Uh, you can also find, and this is not an exaggeration, every broadcast that I've done this past year for Sterling High School Athletics is all online at mixcloud.com. If you search for KSTC Sports, you can go through and you can listen to the time that our football team lost 47-7 to at Meade earlier this year. Or you can listen to the game we just won in the regional finals where our girls won by 30 over La Junta. Uh, you can listen to any of that stuff. It's all there, too. So that's, uh, that's how you track me down. But I always love to interact with people of varying walks of life, varying experiences on Twitter. So at Dan Lucero Show, certainly the best way to reach out. So before I let you go, the last thing that I ask everybody when I have them on here is – what do you like about this podcast, about this website, and what else would you want to see it? Because this is about my self-improvement as much as anyone else is listening to this. I'm selfish. What do you like, and what would you want to see more of? I like the layout. Uh, I, I think your website's very easy to navigate. I love that you're doing uh, features. Uh, the announcer alliteration feature is real neat. Uh, I know it's difficult, certainly, with the time that we, that we all have to, to take to do our jobs. It's tough to say, okay, I'm going to do one of these every, you know, every Tuesday I'm going to do this, or every Thursday night I'm going to put one of these up. And I know it's a tough thing to do, but that might be a, a better way to do uh, a feature or maybe a future feature if you have some more features planned to be able to say, hey, every Thursday this is what we're going to do, or every Wednesday we're going to have one of these things go up. Um, and I think the podcast is great, not just because uh, I like any club that would have me as a member, uh, but uh, I, I, I've enjoyed listening to the podcast. The Tom Bowman podcast last week was particularly outstanding. You asked good, incisive questions, and I think you've got a great resource here for broadcasters like myself who are, you know, we're youngish. I mean, I'm, I'm not as young as I used to be, but I'm, I'm not old by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but broadcasters who are still striving for improvement in the business and to, to make the most of, of this, great, uh, this great industry as we possibly can. This is the Say the Damn Score podcast, and we are joined by Dan Lucero. And, Dan, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it a lot. Logan, my absolute pleasure. This has been the Say the Damn Score podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast either on iTunes or by clicking the lovely subscribe button at the top of saythedamnscore.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Radio underscore Logan or like the Say the Damn Score Facebook page. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this podcast today. If you enjoyed it, don't be afraid to share it. Until next time, remember to say the damn score the next time you're on the air.